Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. Good, eh? How are we all doing at the beginning of another year? Feeling good? Feeling the same? Yeah. Feeling much the same. It's funny, the older you get as the years roll around, isn't it? Um, this morning I want to talk about, we're going to have a look at the um, baptism of Jesus because um, that's actually the, the gospel text for today. Um, and so I thought we'll start there um, and just pull out a few things that might um, challenge us, encourage us, speak to us this morning. Um, so just a, who, who is familiar with the liturgical calendar? Put your hand up. A few people. Yeah, a few of us. I did not grow up at all with the liturgical calendar. That was not a thing. I, I grew up in the Uniting Church and it was um, probably just very low church evangelical would be the, the vibe of it. If you, but, but some of us grew up in more traditional or more high church styles where we operated within the liturgical calendar. So if you are unfamiliar with that, Christianity has its own calendar, just in case you needed another calendar, um, but we, which is good in some ways because it means you get a new uh, New Year uh, that's in beginning of December. You get a, a new New Year's Eve, which is the end of November. You get new high days and low days. And if you want to use that to take extra public holidays with your boss, you can... Uh, put together a really uh, <laughs> concise, um, convincing debate about why you should have extra public holidays because of the Christian calendar. But um, if you can flick to the next slide, Dan, I'll show you this. I've got a couple of picture graphics of um, the, the calendar. So in some ways you could say the liturgical calendar is divided into two halves. Um, ordinary time is almost like a full six months and that runs from the ascension or the, or, or the end of Pentecost right through to the end of the year, which finishes with Christ our King Sunday, which is usually the last or the second last Sunday in November. So ordinary time is really, you could say it's a time of the story of God's people where we're growing together, where we're reading texts that encourage us as the people of God. And then the, the first six months of the year, um, starting with Advent, Advent is the beginning of the church calendar, run through what you would call some of the more specific seasons. Um, starting with Advent, then you have Christmas, which goes for how many days, people? Twelve. Twelve days of Christmas actually is part of the, the calendar. Finishing with Epiphany, which was Friday. Just gone. And then we have a season of Epiphany, which runs through until the start of Lent. And of course, the dates shift and change depending on when Easter is. And then we have Lent, then we have Easter season and Pentecost, and then we're back into ordinary time. So this is, you know, the rolling season, the rolling church calendar. I've got another graphic, just, you know, there's lots of creative people who've put all of this together. This is um, another one. This is actually relevant for our... I don't know, actually, yeah, January the 6th, Epiphany. Then you have Epiphany time, Lent, Easter, the fire of Pentecost and then ordinary time, which is like the harvest. So this is the rolling of the church calendar. And in a way, uh, some people may have 
horrible experiences with the church calendar. Some of you may have sat through very boring liturgical times. You might have, this might be ho-hum. For others of us who've never engaged with it before, it, um, it can be new and a new, new and interesting way to engage with the story of God as it, as it rolls around year upon year. For me, um, what the church calendar offers me Um, As someone who didn't grow up with it, so doesn't have any history with it, it offers me an ancient anchor into something beyond myself. It offers me the opportunity to not have to always be making up my faith as I go, but it offers me like something to rest upon that is just happening, that I can lean into and be carried along by along with all of God's people all around the world who have been following the calendar since the days of Jesus. And so that's what it does for me. It kind of just offers me, like in in our modern contemporary time, it offers me this anchor where, you know, on any given day or any given week, if I'm struggling to find myself within God's story, the calendar can give me a place to start. So... um, that's, that's just a very brief kind of explanation of the church calendar. Early on, I don't know, when did you post this, Fiona? Was it New Year's Eve? Fiona posted this great thing on Instagram, which I'm going to read out. These are Fiona's words, not mine, that kind of bring out some of the goodness of, like Fiona was writing it for herself, but I'm going to steal it and, and talk about it for us. But let me read it to you. Or do you want to read it out, Fiona? Or do you want me to? No, I'll read it out. <laughs> That's embarrassing, isn't it? Time is often described as linear, a year placed in front of the last year, like fresh railroad tracks being laid, always moving forward. But I like to think of it, time, as a layering, a year placed neatly over the previous one, time stacking onto time. And it's thin, so you can look down and see the years like rings on a tree, telling a kaleidoscope story, a dancing memory that is filtered through the wood grain. Another year, another layer, another 31st of December, another January, another Easter, another winter. These are well-worn paths we've walked for decades. It's not time that's expanding, it's us. We're growing into time. I think that's why years go faster when we get older. We've been here before. We've walked through the same 31,536,000 seconds many times. The view changes, but the journey is the same. I think I love the new year because it's the end of a 365-day journey and the beginning of a new layer New year, new me, on top of all the old years and old me's. Beautiful. I loved when I read that. And it gave me that sense too of what the church calendar offers us is this spiral nature of time where we've been here before. We've been at Epiphany before. We've been after Christmas before. We've been in another new year before. And it's not like those things are way, way, way back in our past, but it's like a new beginning that's spiralling underneath us, a new opportunity to see things afresh, a new 
chance to look at the same things with fresh eyes and see what, what might come out for us in the midst of all of that. And so on this day, on the first Sunday after Epiphany, the gospel text is the baptism of Jesus. And so we're going to just sit in this text this morning and see what it has to offer us and see what God might have to say to us. So I'm going to read it to you. Um, We're in Matthew uh, in the liturgical calendar this year. Most of our gospel texts come out of Matthew. So we're reading the the baptism story from Matthew. The text is only Matthew 3, 13 to 17, but just for a little bit of context, I'm going to read a little bit beforehand that kind of just situate us in what's actually going on. So Matthew chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 1 to 6, then verse 11, then our text 13 to 17. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John said to them, I baptise you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptised by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So baptism in those days um, was a new kind of thing that John was doing, John the Baptist. Um, This was not a normal thing to kind of be happening in those days, that there would be a wild, unruly, wilderness man out by the river preaching and then baptising people in the River Jordan. That was not like, that, that didn't happen every day. And so there would have been a little bit of a stir and sensation around John the Baptist. And obviously the news of what he was doing and preaching had spread um, to Jerusalem and people were coming down to, to see him, either to be baptised themselves um, or to just watch the spectacle. Um, I think there were probably people in both camps, as well as, I imagine, a decent handful of proper religious authorities sent by Jerusalem to to see what this man was doing. So there's a lot of people kind of gathering around John at this time. 
And he was, this baptism thing was sort of new. There's a little bit of precedence in ancient Israel for washing, kind of ritual washing to be part of their um, religious practices. Um, often they would, you know, have to wash themselves if they had touched something unclean. They'd have to wash themselves to enter the temple or the tabernacle or the presence of God. But this idea of like baptism, fully kind of like going down into a river and being baptised in repentance, that was a new kind of thing um, that John was doing. Um, there Again, there's a little, like people are speculating, how did John do this? Where did it come from? There's, there's a little bit of evidence that maybe if you were a Gentile, and you were wanting to convert and become a Jew, you would need to be circumcised if you were a man. And then there might have also been a, a purification ritual similar to baptism in terms of like moving from Gentile to Jew. But there was no real precedence for Jews themselves to, to be baptised. The other thing that people think is that uh, some people speculate that John the Baptist was part of the Qumran community who were a ascetic Jewish sect who lived out in the desert. They are the ones responsible for the Dead Sea Scrolls, if you're kind of familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls. They were a, a kind of a separatist group who'd gone out into the desert to live kind of like pure kind of lives. And there's sort of a little bit of evidence around their writings that maybe ritual washing was part of their practices. And so some people think the life that John lived, um, he may have actually engaged quite a bit with that um, group of people and so he may have picked up baptism from them but whatever the way uh, we have John preparing the way for the Lord in the Jordan River out in the wilderness preaching repentance and people coming and you know coming to be baptized and I think there were probably days when there were not many people there and I think there were probably days when there were crowds there and John was just baptizing them one after the other um, praying over them and let, letting them confess their sins and, and turn back to God. And then Jesus comes to see what's, I don't know why, to see what's going on, to himself be baptised, to meet up with John. Um, we, we're not given any kind of indication about the motive of Jesus, but Jesus comes to Galilee with the intention of being baptised um, by John. And I don't know what went down. We're not giving any details of the story. Um, if there was pre-conversation, if Jesus hung out for a few days, if they had, you know, locusts and honey together. There's no real, <laughs> there's not a lot of kind of like, you know, information given in the text. Maybe Jesus was just another man in line on that day to be baptised. We don't know. But either way, John is very reluctant um, to baptise Jesus. And we get this kind of cagey exchange between the two men where John recognises who Jesus is and he also recognises that this is not the right way it should be, that actually John understands that it's, it's Jesus he's preparing the way for. And if anyone should be being baptised, it should be John being baptised by Jesus. But Jesus sort of holds his line and, and, and says those quite strange words in verse 15 where Jesus says, let it be so now. 
It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. They're interesting words um, because John's baptism was a baptism for repentance. It was a baptism for sinners. It was a baptism for those turning back to God. And in our understanding of who Jesus was and how he lived, he was not a man who needed to repent. He was not a man who needed to turn away from sin because he was without sin. He was not a man who needed to turn back to God because he was God. And so there's a strange thing going on here. I, I had a look at, at what other translations of Scripture, um, how, other, how other translations wrote this um, verse 15. And most of them, let me say it like this, 95% of them just say very similar to the one that I read out. So I'm acknowledging that most of the translations just follow this kind of we need to do this to fulfil all righteousness. But here are some of the ones that I felt fleshed it out a little bit differently and it's helpful for us. Eugene Peterson in the message translated verse 15 as this, do it. (laughs) Um, God's work, putting things right all these centuries, is coming together right now in this baptism. I like that. This centuries-long work of God putting things right is coming together in this baptism. Um, N.T. Wright in his translation um, says this, this is how it's got to be right now. This is the right way for us to complete God's whole saving plan. And another translation called The Voice, I'm not sure who is the translator behind that one, but it's, it's written verse 15, it will be right and true and faithful to God's chosen path for you to cleanse me with your hands in the Jordan River. And so there is a sense that there's something much larger going on behind why Jesus committed himself to this repentant baptism beyond the fact that he needed to be baptised because he didn't need to be baptised. There was no need for Jesus to repent. And look, there's many possible understandings of this passage of scripture and many different things we can pull out. But I just want to offer this one to us this morning. Um, Offer this for us to consider. I think that this is perhaps one of the places in scripture where we most clearly see the heart of God and the practice of God and the commitment of God to stand in solidarity and connection with our humanity. This is where we, I think we see another really key example of Jesus choosing to be one of us, to be with us, to be in solidarity with us, doing things exactly as we would in, in, as humans. This is the humility of God, the God who knew no sin, willing to stand in line as just another sinner and be baptised for repentance. That's how humble God is. He's willing to be seen as just another man in line to repent. And this is the commitment and the desire of God to always meet us where we're at. God is fully committed to always meet us 
exactly where we're at. Jesus doesn't come among us as the all-conquering hero. He doesn't come as the invincible saving power. He doesn't stand above us or aloof or untouchable by our reality. He doesn't just stand on the banks of the River Jordan watching all the sinners get baptised for their sins, knowing that over here I have no sins and no need for repentance. He stands in line and, and submits himself to this practice, this washing, this repentance, this purification, this acknowledgement of turning to God. And I, I think that that picture of God is something that we need to hold closely in our hearts as God's people. The humility of God, the love of God, the God with us, the God among us. The God who comes into our midst to be blessed by our hands and washed alongside us as the human one. This is Jesus. And so we start the year again. We go round the tracks again, remembering that Jesus always meets us where we're at. Today, Jesus wants to meet you where you're at with whatever's going on in your life, with your set of circumstances, with all that's going on inside you and outside you. That's where Jesus wants to meet you, not in some kind of perfected reality that, you're, that you imagine, not when you fix yourself up, not when things are better or less messy. Actually, Jesus just wants to be with you right now in the midst of it all in the mud of the Jordan River. That's where Jesus wants to be with you. And we start the year remembering that, that Jesus wants to wash himself alongside of us. The beloved one receiving and sharing the love and the pleasure of God with us. That that voice that boomed from heaven over Jesus, that maybe only Jesus could hear, that that is the voice that God wants you to hear over you as well that you are the beloved of God and with him, with you, God is well pleased. And so this morning I want you to remember that again. I want you to remind yourself again. I want you to know Jesus is with you. God is with you. God is in your mess. He's in your brokenness. He's in your goodness. He's in your humanity. He's in your day-to-day ordinary life, alongside you, blessing you. And as we realise this, as we realise that God is with us just as we are, this humble God who chooses to identify with us, this humble God who comes to serve and to wash himself alongside us, it also you know, that, that should do something to our inner sense of self. That should do something to give us peace in our inner person, that we know we are beloved of God, that we have the favour of the Lord with us, that whatever's going on in life, it's okay. God is with you. God is alongside you. It also means that we, when we have all of that inside of us, we can turn our attention to being that kind of person of faith, in the world, 
someone who is like Jesus, someone who is willing to get alongside other people in their mess, wherever they find themselves, and be people who say, God is with you. God loves you. God's favour is upon you. We can kind of turn and be people who pour out the blessing we've received onto other people. And I just want to read out, I, I came across this um, this, this week, and it, it's, a, um, it's a rule of um, the Franciscan hermits of the Transfiguration. <laughs> I don't know who they are. They're obviously a monastic community, a Franciscan monastic, monastic community. Now, just so you know, most monastic communities have what's called a rule of life. That rule of life is what they follow. That's their guiding principles. That's their vision statement. You know, if we're talking modern, that's their vision statement. That's their purpose. That's their like, that's on the wall. It's not on the wall, but it would be on the wall if they were a 1990s Pentecostal church. Um, The rule of the Franciscan hermits of the transfiguration, this is part of their rule. And I think this really connects in with the spirit of God expressed in this baptism of Jesus. Be content to live an anonymous, unspectacular, misunderstood life among people. That's Jesus being baptised in the muddy waters of the River Jordan, another man in line to repent. Anonymous, unspectacular, misunderstood. Choose where possible those places or jobs where people are oppressed or deprived. Let Christ transfigure the darkness in ourselves and in the world. Let there be great care to maintain the simplicity of presence. Love what is obscure and little, for there you will find Christ. Anyone want to live by that rule? (laughs) I feel simultaneously um, attracted to that rule and daunted by that rule. And yet when I read something like that, something in me like resonates with the heart of Christ. I know that that is true. I know that is the way because it is what Jesus modelled. It is who Jesus was obscure, insignificant, misunderstood, moving towards those who are oppressed, loving the little, being content to be just a presence, faithful presence, a loving friend among those he served. That's, that's the offer for us as we, as we understand the richness of who Jesus is in this baptism narrative is we allow that to transform our inner selves into contentment and trust and peace and comfort and security in our inner being. We're able to move ourselves outwards and live by rules like this because we know we're okay. We can move to others and bring the goodness and the love of God to those around us. So this is some of the richness of of this baptism narrative, what it has to offer us as we live our lives, coming into 2003, again going around the cycle, remembering again these seasons. I want to um, just pivot and ask you, do you remember the day you were baptised? Do you remember your baptism? 
I think baptism is, a, is, is an important thing. Um, it's a, it can be a beautiful thing. Um, baptism in our, in our faith tradition, it's a sacrament. Um, it's a sacrament is an external action that reveals an invisible thing that's going on. So that's what sacrament is. It's like a, a, a visible sign of invisible grace. Um, communion is another sacrament. It's visible sign. There is, there's visible things in front of us. There is, there is juice and there is bread and they're visible to us of the presence of God that is always among us. So we see it and we know God is with us. Baptism is another sacrament. It's a visible sign of an invisible thing that's going on. It's something we do with our bodies, an action that reveals something that's going on on the inside that words cannot explain. That's what baptism is. And it's an act of participation um, and it's a reminder that life with Jesus is not just all about what you think in your head or what you believe, but it's actually about how you live your life. Therefore, we're not told to just think about baptism and just imagine being baptised. We're actually told to be baptised, to be washed as a symbol of new life and a symbol of like the old things of us dying and, and rising up again to new life of clothing ourselves with Christ. We, we baptise ourselves, washing us clean for the repentance of sin and coming up living a new life in Christ. This is what we do. We participate in our faith because our faith is a participation kind of faith. So baptism is usually done towards the beginning perhaps of someone's faith journey or of our faith journey. It's, it's like a, uh, an, more of an initial sign of commitment to living the Jesus way. It's, it's something when we turn ourselves towards Christ and we, we actively say, I want to follow you, baptism often follows soon after that because it's just an outward sign of what's going on on the inside. Something's changed in me and I want to show people that something's changed in me. How do I do that? It's actually really hard to live. If it was easy to live, we'd all be perfect. None of us are. We're all messy. So what will we do instead? We'll be baptised. <laughs> Not instead. What will we do to help us along the way? We'll be baptised. So that's what kind of baptism is. So do you remember your baptism? I, growing up in the United, or I was born into the Uniting Church. I didn't have a choice. They baptised infants. You know, like there's a lot, there used to be a lot of raging debate about infant baptism. Has anyone ever really participated in the raging infant debate about baptism? So some people think you shouldn't, but like, anyway, what does it matter? Um, but I was probably, you know, not fully immersed because that, yeah, <laughs> sprinkled. I, 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 didn't, I, I didn't witness my own baptism but I saw enough infant baptisms after my own to know that on that day they would have brought out the, the, the uh, pine. It would have been like, it would have been, it looked exact. it was this. It wasn't this but it was this colour and it was pine and it was square and it had like a, a brass bowl that would have been filled with water and then you hold the baby's head over the bowl and then, you you know. That was, I, I had that done. And that was like largely enough for me. I, then, you know, I, that, I, I, I don't know. I just never really thought much about baptism. I just was following Jesus and that was enough. And then when I moved down here and um, got involved in different kinds of churches, I think there was a little bit of like, not suspicion, but like, what, you, you were baptised as a baby? What, you, you didn't make a choice? Like, you know, it was like, Somehow it was meant to be like you make an active choice as a, 
conscious person. And, and I just felt like, well, I've made, haven't I made a choice every day of my life to follow Jesus? Anyway, so then I, you know, just thought, okay, well, I don't mind being baptised again. It wasn't required. Like, I know there are some places you actually have to be re-baptised if you want to be a member of a church. Um, there's some nodding, yeah. Um, that wasn't my case. But I just thought, well, why not? So I, I went down to Ferry Meadow Beach on a terrible day. I was like, we're lucky we didn't get taken out into the ocean in a rip. Um, and uh, just a, was me, I think, and one friend, and she, she just baptised me again. And um, it, <laughs> I know, it's very unholy, isn't it, just me? But again, visible sign of invisible grace. Why did I do it? Something's going on on the inside. I still was feeling the sense and the call of God. I was still longing to follow Jesus. It didn't matter to me if I did it in a church, in a pool, at the beach, in front of hundreds or just in front of one. It was an external sign that I was still in my early young adult life wanting to commit myself to follow Jesus. I, I've been baptised twice. Anyone got up on, three, on two? <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> But do you remember your baptism? Can you recall the outward event? Can you, like, if we're thinking of those, you know, those circles of life, the, to- the rings of time, can you touch down into that moment of baptism for you? Can you, like, can you recall the inward movements of your heart and soul that led you to that day? Can you remember, like, the, that, the wooing of God on your heart? Can you remember that? Can you remember? I mean, the movements are always slightly different because we're all kind of unique individuals, but God woos all of our hearts towards him. Some of us might remember that aching sense of emptiness and the wooing towards wholeness. Some of us might have been able to touch upon like a sense of, you know, loneliness or isolation in our very being, like, a, like something in us was, was alone and God was wooing us towards belonging and union and our faith journey began out of a desire to like to be a adopted into God's family to belong to find home like some of us that was the the wooing for some of us it was the acknowledgement of just our 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 brokenness our our guilt the 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 sinful choices we'd made the errors of life this this sense that you know there was something wrong in us and we could feel ourselves being wooed towards the God of grace and forgiveness, the God who wipes the slate clean, the God for whom no mistake or no sin is ever final. Some of us may have just been in touch with a feeling of the absolute absurdity of life, not in the funny, that's absurd kind of way, but more in the existential philosophical absurd side of way I don't you know where the 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 meaninglessness the suffering the absurdity of life like some people are quite in touch with those things in their being and the wooing of God comes to bring meaning 
There's meaning. It's not nothingness. It's somethingness. There's meaning here. That sense of being carried. Do you remember? Do you remember your baptism? Do you remember the inner movements, the wooing of God that was luring you towards that day? It's good for us not to forget. It's really good for us not to forget our first love. It's really good for us not to move too far beyond that day where we can no longer remember the wooing beginnings of our our faith. It is really good for us to be able to touch down through the rings of time and anchor ourselves, remember again, remember again, remember again. You were baptised. You were reborn. You were washed. You were new. And God was wooing you towards that day and he's wooing you still now. Whether you feel it or sense it or whether it feels not so strong today, the wooing of God is always coming towards us. If you um, have never been baptised and would like to be as an outward sign of an inner commitment, then come and talk to me afterwards because baptisms are great. I don't have a orange fount. Uh, we tend to probably do them down at, well, we've done them at Port Kembla Pool. We've done them in other pools. We've done them at the beach. We tend to do full immersion. It's a bit more spectacular than a sprinkle. Um, but I have no uh, theological, um, if you want to be sprinkled, I can sprinkle you. <laughs> um, but I think baptism is, is really good and, 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 so, and I, I think it's a, wonderful, it's a wonderful outward sign of something inward going on. And uh, if you haven't been baptised and would like to be, it's a, wonderful, it's a wonderful marker on a faith journey at any point, whether it's towards the beginning or in the middle or at the end. Baptism is a wonderful sign of the inner work of God in our lives. I... Um, I've been, I'd love to do a baptism, so just I'm putting it out there as like a, maybe that could be like a 2023 goal. Um, don't have goals. But I, I heard, uh, you know why I want to do a baptism? Because I heard uh, a, a little while ago about a church, when they do baptisms, you know, they, they do it at a pool or something and then like, so the person gets baptised and then everybody jumps in <laughs> afterwards as a as a active reminder of their own baptism so so we we watch and participate from the edges as someone a fresh like their life is like you know and then i'm just like that i want to do that i want to like you know i think there is a sense that our faith we should not get too dry we should still be wet from our baptism you know, we should be still. I know this terrible word. I know it's like I was like I nearly said to Luke yesterday. Can I say we should stay wet? Um, <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but there is that sense that we should maintain. Like let's let us. We should not become too dried out. We should stay close to our baptism, to those holy waters of renewal, to that wooing of our hearts that began. We should we should say. So I'm 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 keen to uh, do a baptism. <laughs> I just think it would be fun. I think it would be great. Great to remember. Great for all of us to, wow, to remember. Um, but, Aaron, what happens if you had got, if you baptised and you didn't get 
I did. Oh, I know. Well, see, this is the thing. I'm not bound by any kind of thing. I just talk to the... If you want to be rebaptized, I just do it. No. Um, <laughs> just checking the rules of Central Gate. <laughs> I, I honestly, you know, I, I believe baptism um, is not a ticket to heaven. It's, it's, it's more of a personal thing. It is, an, it is a, I do think it is a, um, it's a commitment to belong to the body of God's people. Um, not any particular church, um, but, to be, but, but a commitment that says, I'm not just an individual. That's why you can't baptise yourself. Um, you have to be be baptised because it's a communal thing and it's an entrance. Not, not that it's like you're not in unless you're in. It's like a sign of belonging to the body of God's people. What, and the, you know, just to put all your minds at ease, way back in the day, you know, they used to baptise people naked. We don't do that anymore. Um, true story, early church, if you wanted to. <laughs> yeah, no, and no white shirts on the baptism. Um, no, like early church. <laughs> no, no, super early church because baptism is a big deal. You could not get baptised unless you'd done serious catechism training, like because baptism was entry into, and because there was a lot of persecution going on and a lot of people, they were, you had to, it was very serious. And then that, you could not have communion until you were baptised. You actually couldn't even go to a church service. I don't, like a gathering of God's people until you were baptised. It was, it was epic. I've read some of their rules. And, and yeah, they would separate the men and the women, but you were, you had to fully undress as a symbol of like, you were taking off everything of this world. And you were, you were baptised naked and then you were clothed with robes, which I think is actually really nice. But you could also just put a robe on someone with their clothes on. Um, clothed with the robes, which symbolise the robes of... Anyway, there's a, anyway I'm going to not keep talking because <laughs> we'll end up saying really weird things, um, which I already have done. Uh, just to finish, um, we're going to actually finish with communion, but we'll, what I'd like you to do, like, what I'd like us to do just to finish is just to to gather together and, and to just bring this down to each one of us. And so I want you to just talk to the one or two or three people around you. And I, I've given you two sort of questions. And this is an opportunity for us just to listen to one another, to share honestly, to pray for one another, to just take this thing out of the conversation and into our hearts and our bodies and our minds. And so I want to ask you, you can answer one of these two questions. Where do you need God to meet you today? If we're thinking about that solidarity of God with us, is there is something in that, did something in that touch you this morning and you have a sense that actually this is my life and I really, I need to have a sense that God is with me in the muddy rivers of my own life alongside me. Maybe you'd like to share that. Or maybe just... To finish, you might like to share the story of your own baptism. Maybe call to mind and not just remember in your head but speak out with your mouth. Like what was the internal wooing of God that led you to your baptism? Just saying that afresh to one another. Let's just finish by 
by gathering and being honest and and speaking to one another and 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 pray for one another if there's someone if the person you're sitting next to just needs some prayer this morning let's pray for one another and then we'll we'll come and receive the sacrament of communion to finish even if you haven't been baptized you're we have an absolute open table at Central. All can eat and drink at the table of the Lord. So let's just take a few minutes and do that um, together. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central. <laughs>